0: You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. My guest today is Susan Salinger, and she is the author and researcher behind Sidelined, how women manage and mismanage their health. Susan Salinger explores how women, typically the medical gatekeepers for their families, tend to be extremely dedicated about taking care of themselves, yet at the same time inadvertently undermine their own care. And they often hesitate to call the doctor when they don't feel well and worry that their doctor visit will take time away from their families or work. While Susan's research reveals how conflicted many women are about the medical decisions they ultimately make. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our very esteemed guest today, (laughs) Susan Salinger on how women manage and mismanage their health. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, I'm delighted to be here. I'm so looking forward to this.
0: I am too. I have read so many books on women's health and it's always based on a wellness or fitness or a medical type of issue, but your whole view and vision was something that was completely different than I've ever seen. And that's why I wanted so badly to uh, talk to you about it. So what prompted you to write Sidelined?
1: Well, I had a personal experience that I will share with you in a minute, but it was really the impetus for the book. And because of what happened to me, I really wanted to help women just erase the shame so many of us feel about becoming ill. And I really also wanted to, once that once women decide to ask for help, and you're right, we do delay, but there's various hurdles that they're gonna have to jump. And I wanted to help them recognize those hurdles and then learn to deal with them. And the third thing I wanted to do, which was really the most important to me, is encourage conversation among women, not only about their illness, but their own illness, but about illness in general. But just to go back to shame for a minute, I have a wonderful story to tell you. It's not funny, but yes, it is all at the same time. There was a survey done where some uh, researchers asked a bunch of women who were experiencing heart attack symptoms, how many of them would call the paramedics or call 911 and ask for help? Would you believe, Ward, only 50%, only half of the women said they would call 911. Why? Because they were so ashamed about their messy house. They didn't want the paramedics to see it. And I mean, shame can be fatal. So all I could think was, is here's this poor woman lying in a coffin in the cemetery, and her tombstone says, if only she had kept a neater house, she'd be alive today. I so believe can,
0: that. I, I absolutely believe fatal. it. Because, Susan, you know, when when I was going through the book, what amazed me was that I know how guys think we won't go to the doctor until it's the last thing. We don't care about it if The house is dirty, but right. we are just, I think we're way worse than women. So I was so <laughs> surprised that because I know a lot of women, they make doctor's appointments, like they're going to the salon to have their hair and their nails done. And I'm like, are you a hypochondriac or what? but your book opened up a whole new mental picture of what's going on in women's lives when it comes to medical yeah. care and right. why is your book like your book why is it so important today
1: Well, it's particularly important today because even in 2022, women have the, they have hurdles. First, the first thing we have to do is get out of our own way. And that's where my story comes in. Actually, it's a classic case of do what I say, not what I do. I was taking some hormones and the doctor said, hey, I have some new ones. Why don't you try it? So I mean, sure, why not? So I tried the new hormones, had a whole bunch of um, common side effects. So he did a bunch of tests. Everything was normal. And he said, you have to have exploratory surgery. And I thought to myself, no, I don't. I'm fine. Just give me back the old hormones. And he said, no, 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 no. So I, I meanwhile, I go in for exploratory surgery. I'm lying on this gurney with all of the tubes attached and people wheeling me in. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I can't, this is insane. So he did the surgery. Everything was fine. I went back on the whole old hormones and kind of lived happily ever after. But I thought to myself, I can't be the only idiot in the room. Have other women done this? So I talked to a bunch of other women, and sure enough, most of the women I talked to had made one or more medical decisions that, like me, they later regretted. So that was really the impetus for the book.
0: Well, then let me ask you this, because you bring up a question that just popped into my head. If you were taking hormones and everything was fine, why did you so easily agree to change them when the doctor said, hey, I got something new?
1: Well, I... That's a good question, and I thought it was a, why not? You know, I was taking him for osteoporosis, and he said these are even better for osteoporosis. So I thought, what the heck? You know, give it a shot. It,
0: I'm it so sounds. Sorry,
1: I, did. I can't. Tell the you.
0: doctor sounds more like he was being a salesman than actually being a doctor.
1: So, you know, that's partially true, Ward, but I have to tell you, if he'd been right, and I knew he was looking for ovarian cancer, I know that's what he thought, and if he'd been right, he would have saved my life. So, you know, it's, what can I say? Well,
0: is is this, was the hormone uh, situation, was that one of the themes or the pivotal moments in your life that caused you to say, hey, I need to yeah. write this book?
1: Yes. I was so ashamed of myself, which brings me back to shame. I was so ashamed of myself that I didn't listen to my gut. I got frightened. I mean, I could have taken a week or two or three. I wasn't going to keel over the next day. You know, I could have gotten a second opinion. I could have thought it through. I had a million options, none of which I explored. The doctor said, do this. And I said, more or less, I said, sure, why not? Well, never again. Never again.
0: <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Usually, right. hopefully, for many people who go through a medical situation where they had that gut feeling, like, why did I do that? Hopefully, they will say never again. But you right. know, I know how it. I know what it's like when you when people go to the doctor. It's almost like going to a car dealership. You're you. It's hard to separate. <laughs> yeah. Emotion, fact. And what you want and what you're trying to get all at the same time. And your mind cannot uh, multitask more than two things at once. So we're we're caught in a trap. But with your book, you interviewed quite a few women. How did you find these women to interview them?
1: You know, it was actually amazingly easy. I got on the internet and I went to the different support groups, like for fibromyalgia, endometriosis, whatever. And I just put it out there. I said, I'm writing a book. I'd love to hear your story. Is anybody interested? And I got a lot of replies. And each reply, I mean, each woman had a friend. I really needed to interview her friend because and because. So it's like you said on, on the Michael interview, it snowballed. And it was, it was, and the women were so generous and so lovely. And I have to tell you, their sole purpose was to help other women avoid the experiences that they had had. So we were all in this together and it was just a lovely, lovely feeling. Well,
0: you put together some focus groups. So how did you put those focus groups together and why did you do that?
1: Well, I put them together in a very simple way. I hired a focus group person to put them together. But I did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted stories from across the country and so all of the women had were were from you know the midwest back east some were from the west i wanted everybody the the most important thing that the focus groups revealed though and this i have to say this blew me away none of the i had two focus groups and a hundred percent of the women in each group had never talked about their illness with anybody else other than their doctor and that's actually again one of the main reasons I wrote the book i want to encourage conversation we need each other it's it's too illness is too lonely and long and it can if you're particularly if it's chronic it can be a long journey to take alone
0: well let me ask you this because <clears throat> this seems to be a fact in medical in the medical industry that it is that's pretty ignored And when you had your focus groups, um, were you able to tell uh, based on race between the women and maybe that their uh, medical situation or the way they were treated uh, was different than someone else?
1: No, I wasn't. And that's an excellent point because minorities do have a much harder time. But the particular women I interviewed, their stories were more or less equal. There was there was no difference. I mean, their symptoms, most of them, their symptoms had been minimized. They'd gotten a a psychological diagnosis. They were told it was stress. Its race seemed to have nothing to do with it. It's which I thought was interesting. It was strictly a gender issue.
0: Wow. Well, then that leads to me leads me to my next question. Why do some women, some of the time, do themselves such a disservice?
1: Well, you know, there was been a lot of studies. And I have to tell you, my first thought when I interviewed all the women I met, and that was one of the things I found in common, is that they really delay going to the doctor. But And I thought, so I did the research because I thought to myself, I mean, maybe it was just the women I interviewed. I mean, you know, that can happen. But it turned out there's a ton of literature on the subject and women really, want, their, their main goal is to take care of their families. I'm smiling because there was another study done where they, they gave women a list of five things and they asked them to prioritize who they would take care of the most. Well, the first thing they would take care of was their children. The second was their pets, which makes me smile. The third was parents or elderly relatives. The fourth was their spouse or significant others. And fifth, last but not least, was themselves. So there you go. So we really put our families first. That was, that's the first thing that is really mind boggling.
0: Well, you it, know, when, in, in the beginning, you know, I had mentioned where men won't go to the doctor unless they absolutely have to, or they have to call 911. Right. And with women, <laughs> yeah. And with women, they, they go to the doctor far more often than men do, even possibly for things that they probably would not have to go to the doctor for. But, Because women are so proactive when it comes to their health, more so than men, and they work at it so diligently. What do you you mean that they have trouble getting the most effective health care? I kind of found that kind of odd.
1: Well, uh, yes and that was actually the conflict in the book i want to be really clear that women are very proactive you're absolutely right when it comes to our health care we keep on top of all our tests we we keep you know we do everything right except when it comes to actually going to the doctor and we do go to the doctor more than men do but that's also because we take our children we take our parents it isn't necessarily for ourselves sometimes it is but as, as i said with the 911 story I mean, it, it, women are ashamed. They don't want to be sick. That They're going to be, they have to avoid their responsibilities. They're afraid that the doctor will say, yes, you know, you know, you need to go lie down or you need to do this or you need to do that. And women put their children and their families first. And that's, they need to know that they need to put themselves first. I mean, self-care is health care. There's just no question about it.
0: That's exactly right, and, I, and I'm I, internally right now, Susan. I'm kind of laughing because when you gave the list, and the spouse, the man, the husband, was listed at number four, below the parents, below the pets. Okay. 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 All right, so so guys, this, this is uh, you know for all of you men out there who are watching and listening, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. You may want to start treating your wife better so you can hopefully get to the level of being Great. above the pets. You got to get above the pets, guys, because this is not, this is not good news right here. So, <laughs> so so let me ask you this, Susan. What are the yeah? I'm right.
1: (laughs) Well, then let's hope it's dogs and cats and not like a pet iguana or something.
0: (laughs) I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not into reptiles or amphibians, but I'll take the dogs (laughs) or the cat. But but let me ask you this. What are the three most common hurdles women need to overcome to actually improve their health care?
1: Number one, like I said, they have to get out of their own way no question about it. That's that's really the first thing. But then there's also hurdles in the medical community. I mean, doctors still, even as I started to say in 2022, they minimize women's symptoms. We get a psychological diagnosis. Diagnosis, you know, and I don't think people realize this. It's a very tricky business. There's like 20 to maybe thirty, forty thousand 40,000 different diseases out there. And a lot of them have the same symptoms. I mean, if you go in and you say, I'm tired, I have no appetite, I'm in a little bit of pain, that can be all 20,000 diseases. For the doctor, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. So you really have to learn how to state your symptoms, how to be clear, and how to get second opinions. And that is one of the most important messages in my book because women really hesitate to get a second opinion we don't want to be rude. We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. You know, we're taught to play nice. And so we do to sometimes to our own, you know, disadvantage. You know, it's amazing.
0: Your book is bringing something out, which to me is the absolute opposite of what we see today when we are looking at women's roles in society. Now it's women can be CEOs, they can be world champions in sports, they can do this, they can do that, there's nothing they can't do, but in medicine, the doctors, and I'm not saying male doctors, it could be a female doctor, but when a, a female patient comes in, why is this, why is there this type of, Well, uh, I'm trying to figure out the right word here, not submission, um, but it's almost like they're they're looking at them as lesser than and on top of that there's that mental health idea that doctors keep it's a mental health card they keep playing i don't know if right. the doctors have been on call too long and just getting tired <laughs> yeah you know but you know looking at a woman and saying you know it's probably all in her head well why is it well, if a guy goes to the doctor why is it the doctor not thinking it's all in his head You know, why is the man more physical where the woman's issues, oh, there's probably an underlying emotional or mental uh, element to her problem. That's crap.
1: Well, it is, absolutely, and it's a real problem for women, especially those with chronic diseases that are particularly difficult to diagnose. I mean, incidentally, it can take five to seven years to get a disease for a chronic, uh, to get a diagnosis for a chronic disease. But to answer your question, I think a lot of the reasons, first of all, I don't think that the doctor sees the woman herself as less than. But I do think there's a couple of reasons that our symptoms are given a psychological diagnosis, one of which is actually the way women communicate. And I don't mean to blame the victim here. It's just a different communication style. But women, when we talk, you know, you'll go in and you say, listen, I have a sore throat. I'll go in and I'll say, I have a sore throat. And, you know, I've lost my appetite. I'm driving my kids to school. I'm so tired because I've got this virus or something and I just don't feel well. It's really stressing me out. So that leads the doctor right down the path to a psychological diagnosis. That's, that's one issue.
0: Well, now you bring something else up <clears throat> and a lot of people <laughs> need to realize that when they go to the doctor, get to the point, stop storytelling, stop right. being a, a history teacher is what I call When, when people said, Hey, I went to the store yesterday, but then they tell you the whole route on how they got to the store. Stop doing that when you talk to the doctor. Now in yes. your book, do you advise the the women to be to get to the point and get rid of that outside talk? Because it's that outside talk that you just gave us the example that mentally changes the idea of what the doctor is going to do or say.
1: I think I, I don't quite say get rid of it because I think, I mean, and I, because I'm guilty of it and I think it's really hard. I mean, you, you want to know how I am, I'll ask you how much time do you have, you know, <laughs> I'll give you the whole story. But I do say, I do have a lot of suggestions and I do think one of the main ones is to write down your, your symptoms and prioritize them. Go in with a list that will not only help you stay, on, stay, stay focused, but it focuses the whole interview. And I think that that's really important. And I think, too, if you repeat back what the doctor says in your own words, you'll be sure that you not only did you understand what he or she said, but that they understood what you, what you said. And well, I think yeah. that's important. Yeah. But, I you mean, know, if, I, I, I'm sorry. What? Well, what it's I-
0: kind of like if a woman goes in, like you said, she goes to the doctor, she has a sore throat, but then she adds things to the sore throat that are irrelevant to the sore throat. She mentioned Correct. stress. She may miss, mention something else. What I have found in some, a doctor will n- no longer think about the sore throat. They're going to be thinking about the stress. You went in for trying to get rid of a sore throat, but you leave with a prescription for Valium.
1: Yes, that's and exactly. That, well said.
0: You that's know exactly so,
1: what happens.
0: Yeah, and I, that's the reason why. And, and ladies, this is this show is for you today and Susan has the best book to help you to focus. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, thank you. Seriously because you know I think your your book is something that we need today which is we need to improve all of us but especially for women need to improve that line of communication in this case with their doctor, with their specialist, with their OBGYN, if right. it's, you know, psychiatrist, if it's a counselor, get to the point and stop yes. adding A, B, and C, which then can throw off your healthcare provider trying to help you, you're just making the problem worse.
1: You know, that's, that's so true, because really you wanna let the doctor do his job. And what I do, which is wrong, but what I, I'm not wrong, but I can't help myself. But I tell them the whole or her the whole story. I don't want them to miss anything, so that I can get an accurate diagnosis. And in a sense, I'm tripping myself up.
0: Yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, and, and and that's my point. We end up, like you said, women. And, and since we're talking about women today, you're right. Women do themselves a disservice by getting mm-hmm. in their own way simply by possibly talking too much to the doctor, just get to the point, I have a sore throat, what can you do about it, and shut up.
1: Right. No, that's (laughs) true. But, you know, there is another reason, too, because I want to get to the medical history. Women in medical history have a very unhappy relationship I mean, I mean, I was. This was actually my favorite part of the book. It was just so fun. Aristotle called us leaky ven- vessels because we menstruate and cry. He thought women were mutilated males because, of course, the male was the perfect form. And I think some women have internalized this sort of. I can't call it nonsense because it was so many years ago; they didn't know better. But nevertheless, nonsense. Our reproductive organs are blamed for our what weak morals and etc. I mean, you know, our 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 for sex. All we, we have insatiable sexual appetites all because of our reproductive organs and our uterus meanders throughout our body up to our brains and causing all sorts of weird things. So I think some women have internalized this devaluing and this misinterpreting of our bodies. And I think that that's a real reason. But you know, I honestly and I and I think a lot of people might disagree with me here, but I think that the wellness industry has contributed to some of women's hesitancy. I really want to say shame. The wellness industry has given us so many good tips on how to live a healthy lifestyle. But underneath it all is the assumption that if you take care of yourself, you'll be okay. And that's not true. I mean, I'll tell, illness is random. Then there was my, my there was my father-in-law who lived to the ripe old age of 84 or 85, never sick a day in his life. Hated anything except red meat. Loved red meat. Never looked at vegetables. He wouldn't even look at a carrot. Loathed them. And they never exercised. I, on the other hand, have a very disciplined diet, exercise four times a week, etc., and my blood pressure is higher than his ever was. So, illness is random, and I think that that's a really important concept to help women erase the shame that some of them feel.
0: Well, what type of uh, empowerment in your book do you give women so when they go to the doctor, they can, because look, the doctor didn't call them up to make the appointment, (laughs) The woman called the doctor. So you make the incentive to go to the doctor. What kind of guidelines or helping, um, tips did you give women in the book to, when they go to the doctor, you, you should be doing this, doing that, to, that way they can manage your health better?
1: Yes. I, what I, The last chapter of the book is in many ways the most important. It's not even a chapter. It's just the resources at the back of the book. I worked very hard and did a lot of research. And what I did is I offer a tremendous amount of websites to help women look up their doctor, to, to research their doctor, to research their illness, to research the medication they've taken. These are all the websites or most of them that I used in my research, as well as some of the ones that people recommended to me that they swore were reliable. I mean, I can't guarantee them because they may have changed since I've used them. But nevertheless, it's an excellent resource list, and it gives women all of the tools that they will need to do their research, help them with questions, et cetera. It's really good.
0: Now, and ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Susan Salinger's book, Sidelined, Like she just said, there's resource guides in the back. You want to look those up. One of the ways to be proactive. I just had this conversation with a medical researcher yesterday. Research, research, research. Knowledge is power. Gain power when you go to the doctor. So let me ask you this, Susan. What are women's biggest frustrations when they do visit their doctor?
1: I will get that. I just want to tell you one thing about the research. Did you know, and I'll bet you didn't, that most of us will spend more time—about eight hours—researching a job or a surgery we need. Ten hours researching a job, but no hours really researching our surgeon. Or what? I, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. We just like I did. We blithely go in there. Anyway, the biggest frustrations I want to get back to your question. I think the first one really is being given a psychological diagnosis being told that your symptoms are all in your pretty little head. That's demeaning, devaluing, and frankly, frequently, frequently inaccurate. I mean, it is it is true that stress can cause illness, but there's a lot of women that have a lot more stress than all of us who don't get sick, and a lot of women who have a lot less stress than us and do get sick. I mean, illness is random, and I think that that's so important. Um, I think that's a major frustration, is being misunderstood.
0: You know, well, completely, because, you know, with, with women, and I can see where the psychological diagnosis would be okay. Maybe she has a thyroid problem. <clears throat> maybe she has, she's an adrenal problem. Maybe she right. has a hormone problem. All right. three of those are linked to psychological aspects of health. What, yeah. what infuriates me is that <laughs> has to change. Right. And in men's health, even today, testosterone levels continue to decline. When that happens, Doctors possibly could start treating men the exact same way. Oh, low testosterone, low thyroid. Guess what? That's all psychologically. Uh, right. Those things can cause psychological changes, not just in women. It happens in men. So to right. me, Susan, and ladies and gentlemen, I think Susan and I can level the playing field today. So Let's hope so.
1: Because this has to stop, both for men and women. I don't know that much about men's health. But I know, for example, that you're, that men are treated with te- with testosterone supplements and all of that, and it's—I don't. I, my knowledge tells me it's not healthy.
0: No. Well, um, let me ask you
1: this: What are some of
0: the other frustrations you came across?
1: Well, mostly, let's see. Let me think for a minute. Mostly, women don't want to leave their families. They're terrified of what they're going to hear. They're afraid of being. Minimize, dismissed, and that is as we've said. That's that's a real that's a real fear. They're also afraid that they're good. They're they're embarrassed. They they feel that they're you know a, a part of it is when when women get sick, they tend to blame it on stress. And to them, they mean the fact that they're sick is like a public acknowledgement that they can't manage their stress. They they see it as. Um, their uh, how do I say it—a public acknowledgment of their inability to manage their lives. So that's why they hesitate to go to the doctor, and I think that's why maybe they're so so uh, quick to tell the doctor that they're stressed
0: that they. Uh, I think they look- there's another. I th- I'm I'm now thinking, I think there's another underlying problem with that. If a woman blames it on stress, to me. I'm thinking what she's really saying is it's not stress. She wants someone to listen to her. Yes. Most women, if they're going to, yes. if they are the health gatekeepers of the family, they are the ones less likely to be listened to. Mm-hmm. Could be by the spouse, could be by the children, could be by her parents or or the in-laws. Pets don't care, but. <laughs> <laughs> I know the list, but, but it comes down to the fact that I believe when they throw the word stress, I think there's an underlying cause of somebody is not listening to me. I have a problem. I don't feel good. Will somebody just sit down, let me talk and don't try to solve my problem. Let me just get it out. Do they feel that way when they go to the doctor?
1: I think so. I would agree with you. Nobody said that to me specifically, but my intuition did pick that up Um, (laughs) because it's true. And women don't look at all in the focus groups. They never talk to anybody about their health except their doctor. I mean, there you go. If that's not proof, I don't know what is, you know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and that's why, Susan, your book is this tremendous eye opener and thank you communication 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 and look in the last two or three years the number one thing on everybody's mind has been health either protecting their health trying to get over something and then you know and i think it's been made worse because there are certain areas of the country that when you go to the doctor no one can come in with you you have to go by yourself your support system is outside right either sitting in the waiting room or sitting outside in the car. So they have to go in there by themselves, hopefully being able to be a sponge to absorb everything that's been told to them so they don't uh, misunderstand. And so when they leave, they completely get it all wrong. Because to me, the thought process of walking into a doctor's office is completely different than walking into the grocery store.
1: Absolutely. Right. No. And as a matter of fact, I'm in California and I guess it's statewide, but you know, my, my support system, my, my daughters, whatever, do have to stay in the car or in the, not even in the waiting room. I mean, I went to the doctor the other day for just a checkup and she, she, poor thing had to wait in the hallway. She didn't even want, they wouldn't even, they didn't want her in the waiting room. You know, and one of the things in my book, I say, which is now a little bit outdated, perhaps, because I say, be sure to take somebody with you so that because, you know, two, four ears are better than two. I mean, oh, well, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think that when someone goes to the doctor, especially, I don't care if it's a man or a woman, really don't go by yourself, because if you're going to go in. Now, I understand that there are certain conditions where you don't yeah. want to be openly talking about it in front of somebody else. But right. At least there's another set of ears, and hopefully they're listening and not looking at their phone while you're, while you're <laughs> trying to talk true. to the doctor. Yeah. But let me ask you this, because you brought something else up earlier, and I, and I really want to get into this because we don't hear about it a whole lot. So why do some women hesitate to get a second opinion? The only disease that I know that some people will get a second opinion on is cancer because that's a term that sounds like life or death but when it comes to maybe it's a cardiovascular issue maybe it's a neurological issue and i don't mean like mental neurological i'm talking about maybe I, it's I a nerve issue and things right. of that sort right why do women hesitate men i think do the same thing of getting a second opinion
1: Men actually get more second opinions than than women do. But I I think there's several reasons. Number one is, I think I said, we're taught to play nice. We don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. One of the the women said to me she was afraid to get a second opinion. She was afraid she'd be labeled a a bad patient and that that would go in her chart and it would sort of follow her throughout her medical career, so to speak. Um, And that was a real worry. And women don't want to be rude. So we don't want to be rude. We don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. We don't want to be labeled a bad patient. A lot of women are, are very worried about being labeled hysterical and getting that psychological diagnosis because maybe that's what some of them think anyway so when the doctor says that it confirms there are already negative feelings about themselves and i think that that's an important uh point so well, there's yeah. a bunch of reasons that we do um, and, you know, another reason I think that <laughs> and I I'm, I'm, don't know if this is accurate, but I think it is one of the things I didn't mention in communication is that women lie to their doctor more than men do. And that blew me away. So maybe if we've said to the doctor, no, I never drink or, oh, my goodness, drink me. You know, I always exercise. I never cancel my exercise. I do it every morning. I floss at least twice a day. So if if we've said all those things and then we go get a second opinion, are we going to lie again? What do we do? I mean, we we backed ourselves into a corner, and I think that that's really. Yeah, and the other thing about lying, incidentally, and then your turn. But well, no, this, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, but many of us, like I was, like twenty five or thirty percent, don't think that their lies have anything to do with their diagnosis. They don't think it leads. I mean, that's mind boggling.
0: Oh, no, it it is. But see, part of the, with women not getting a second opinion, that's not their fault. The fault lies in the history on the way doctors have treated female patients for decades. You know, everybody was always mentally geared up. If you liked your doctor, you went to him over and over and over again. You built up that relationship. Doctors can have a jealousy streak, a god complex, when they believe that they've done all the tests and they told you what's wrong. That's it. And if you're going to if you're going to question that authority, they get offended. But you know what? This is health. And if you're offended, I don't care because right. this right. is my life. And you just got to understand. Maybe they want a second opinion because they don't feel you're listening to them.
1: You know, I think that that's a good point, and I think that that's true of some doctors. But I honestly think that there's a lot of doctors who would welcome a second opinion. And the reason I say that, and I did not know this till I did my research, the diagnosis is such a tricky, tricky, tricky business. When you think about, as I said earlier, all of the diseases out there, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack because some of our symptoms are vague, or the the symptoms mimic other diseases. So before a doctor operates, he may be, or she maybe wants to be darn sure that they really are absolute. I mean, who wants to do brain surgery and go in there and go, oops, wrong diagnosis.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that also brings up another way to focus about this too. If you go to your general practitioner and let's say a woman goes to a general, general, her general practitioner and says, I feel fatigued, my, my hair is kind of dry, it's kind of falling, I've got cold hands, cold feet, he runs this, yep. he goes, you have hypothyroidism, okay, right. so from there, if you need a second opinion, instead of going to another GP, you go to an endocrinologist, you, you go to a specialist, so the right. second opinion that a woman, or even a man makes, but this time we're only talking about women, if a, if a woman wants a second opinion, the second opinion should be on a higher plane than the first one you went to
1: well i absolutely agree and i think another thing that's really important about second opinions and i I believe this firmly is to go to somebody that's had different training i mean if, if if your doctors from ucla get a second opinion from somebody who did their studying at nyu just so it's different because you don't you you want a confirmation, but if somebody's I never go to a doctor in the same office because I'm just assuming that they may agree with one another or have the same uh, treatment philosophy, and, well, and I, you, I need something different.
0: Well, yeah. Now, in your book, do you do you discuss where? Because you did the focus groups. Do do women go to their friends or maybe their mother, mother in law, yes. whoever, and say, hey? Do you know of a doctor that does this? Is, was there a lot of sharing of information? To, uh, well, maybe... No,
1: because, well, yes, and let me put it this way, not in the focus groups, because they had never discussed their issues with anybody else. But asking a friend is one way to get to get the name of a second doctor. And also ask, you know, you can ask your doctor, he may be or she may be more than willing to give you a name. But again, you want to research that to be sure that the doctor that your original doctor gave you is has had different training there's no point mimicking the same training that that's i think a very important point um yeah. but I asking agree. a friend is a very good way and you want to do your research look them up you want to make sure that they got their that they got their they did their studying at a reliable and respected university um,
0: um, well, yeah, because everybody makes a fancy website nowadays, and you can make the most incompetent doctor look like right. like he won the yeah. Nobel Prize in medicine.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. That's research is. You said you talked to somebody yesterday. I mean, research is critical, and again, that's why the resource list in the back of the book is also critical. It's very well,
0: important. yeah, because see, you know, when it comes to the second opinion, and in that second opinion, should be on a higher plane. Than mm-hmm. the first doctor you saw, which most likely mm-hmm. is a general practitioner. Right. You know, may, you know, I always believe, you know, are they a leader in their specialized field? Yes. You know, yes. And, yes. And, and, and and if they are and they are in your local area, you know, their practice is usually going to be slightly larger. So when you call up there, you may not be able to see that main doctor, but there are other doctors in that practice with him that are right. doing the exact same thing
1: yes absolutely, absolutely. And, I, and, I,
0: and I think that that works so yeah you hit the nail on the head Susan ladies research 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 yes, don't just absolutely. go yeah don't go on Google and look up Yelp reviews you need right. to dig, dig deeper it's than true. that
1: <laughs> and you know you have to get the name of your disease I mean, if if you're if if you if you want the clinical name so that you can look it up and make sure that you're on the right page, so to speak.
0: Okay, now you now you open up another can of worms for me. One that <laughs> irritates the fire out of me. I talk to so many people, and 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 the worst are those who have been diagnosed with diabetes. And so I always ask them, did the doctor explain to you what diabetes is? And they say. No, they gave me a prescription for either a a tablet or capsule insulin, or maybe they have to go on the shot or whatever. And I said, they never explained to you what that condition actually is. They go, no. And I'm like, that's not being a doctor. You Uh know, the old deal is, is that you wait in the waiting room for an hour or two, but you (laughs) only get a seven and a half minute diagnosis on average. And that's not medicine. Right. you know, right. and I think for a lot of women, I think that's probably one of the sticking points for them is that they go in, they got, they'd had to take off from work. They had to leave their family at home or their children at the babysitter or whatever. Right. right, They sit there forever. They finally see the doctor <laughs> and it's over in less than 10 minutes.
1: Right. Right. And you'll, and, and really, and, and, and part of that it's amazing how many of us don't say to the doctor, like you said about the diabetes, that we don't understand. We, we, we hesitate to do that. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to take up more of, of the doctor's time. I mean, whatever. But we don't ask. And I'll well, tell you an interesting story about diabetes, actually, because this was in some research. We're also a, a culture of the worried well. So many of us, and diabetes happened to be the example, are diagnosed with prediabetes. And in the study that, that I'm referring to, 100% of the people that were diagnosed with prediabetes assumed they had diabetes. So now they're taking medication for a disease they don't yet have. And actually only about 2% of them went on to actually develop diabetes. So we have to be careful about that. Like I said, research.
0: Now I'm going to ask you a very important question. And for a lot of women listening and watching right now, I know they want the answer. Do (laughs) women get better care from a male doctor or a female one?
1: I love that question. And I will tell you why as I researched my brains out on that. And the jury is still out. Isn't that interesting? I have, for example, I, I didn't even realize it until I was doing this research. My doctors are men and my doctors are women. I would look for the most competent one. There can be different conversation styles between a a male and female doctor. A female doctor might talk a little more to you, get a little more of your background, et cetera. A male doctor might be more interested in just your clinical history. But on the other hand, I have a male doctor that always wants to know how I'm doing and a female doctor that rarely asks. So, I mean, you can't, you know, you never know. Well, yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Now, yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely correct on that. And I've also noticed too that medical doctors that also extend into a wellness practice have now, when they see a patient, you're going to see that doctor anywhere from thirty minutes upwards to an hour on the initial consult. Now the right. follow ups could be ten to fifteen minutes long, but the initial con- consult is. 10 times longer than if you just went to a regular GP and they're passing out prescriptions like handy. So, yeah. you know, with, you know, and I know a lot of doctors and you've probably seen them where a lot of them are leaning more towards that wellness aspect to kind of encompass so many different aspects in treating a patient. And that patient, I think too, feels, feels listened to oh, because yes. they got to spend more time with that doctor.
1: That happened, actually, it's, it's funny that you brought that up because when my husband and I, we just moved up here about 10 years ago. So we had to find new doctors. So we went to this one doctor and I, I mean, I was, I was thrilled he Fred and I were sitting in the waiting room and he came in we were the only ones in the waiting room he had obviously scheduled plenty of time he came in and he sat down in, in the waiting room and just talked to us you know want to know who we were why did we move up here you know you get the picture I, I mean I've, I've been going to him ever since I mean who would leave a doctor like that <laughs> he was fabulous and still is so wow
0: you yeah, know and I can't imagine, um, I mean, even for us, I mean, yeah, you know, we moved to our area about three years ago and yeah, sometimes you have to find another doctor and that right. can be really scary. It was. I mean, you're it playing roulette. I mean, you never yeah, you do not know.
1: Absolutely. But I'll tell you how, well, this man I found because I had, there was a doctor of mine in LA that happened to move to LA from San Francisco. So I just asked him, but another doctor I found that I got really lucky was just on the internet, which I don't recommend. But I mean, she trained at Stanford, she trained at Harvard. So I figured, you know, how dumb can she be? right? <laughs> so I went and she, she too turned out to be terrific. So that, I mean, it really worked out.
0: Well, I, I've got a, a great qu- question for you that all of us have gone through at least once so what can someone do if they mess up in an appointment or reflect back and want to think about their health differently or maybe for a lot of us we want to redo
1: yes absolutely well if you mess up an appointment there's a, you have a couple of options in fact more than a couple but number one i do recommend taking notes during the interview so that you can particularly if you have somebody with you and that way you can review what was said you can see what you don't understand and you can email or you can telephone and you have a telephone appointment today telemedicine is a big deal so that you know you can go back it, just because you've left the room and and your appointments over doesn't mean you're you're through with it you you may need another appointment you may need as i said just a you know a telemedicine thing whatever but don't, whatever you do, don't just go away not understanding and then not following up on that. You must understand what he, he or she said. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, uh, and especially with telemedicine, you know, if people are on a Zoom call, ladies and gentlemen, do not forget to hit the record button because <laughs> that can save you a lot of trouble. And look, point. don't be shy. If you have to call the doctor's office back and say, hey, what did the doctor say, usually the nurse practitioner will have far more information it's, for yes. the doctor, you know, than, and, than the doctor. So sometimes I trust the nurse more than I do the doctor.
1: Well, and they, they both are full of information. And one thing that a lot of us do, and we really shouldn't, is, is the doctor's leaving the room and his hands on the doorknob. We say, and just one more thing, you know, that's not fair. Yes. That's cheating. That's <laughs> yeah. why take a list, you know,
0: well, well, then let me ask you this. What are your top three tips for women who want to better manage their health and decision-making capabilities?
1: Ah, uh, Number one, don't feel ashamed. Illness is random. We get it when we're stressed. We get it when we're not stressed. Not everybody that smokes gets lung cancer and not everybody that gets lung cancer has smoked. I mean, it's that simple. Number two. Talk about your illness, get yourself some support. Don't take this trip alone, it's just too lonely. And three, research, research, research. Go to the back of the book, research your disease, research your doctor, research your medication, ask your doctor when he when he or she gives you a diagnosis, what else could this possibly be? What are my options here? What if I do nothing? What if I don't take this? There's a bunch of questions that I list that I think are really helpful and you will feel more comfortable that you got the correct diagnosis.
0: Exactly. Now, when does your book hit the shelves?
1: April 12th, 2022. <laughs> but you can pre-order it on Amazon or bookshop. Whatever. I mean, all of those, you know the usual. Well, well, Susan,
0: my goodness, you have written the most fantastic book from a different point of view that has probably been needed the last 30, 40 years, and you have done it. Thank
1: you so much. I just had the best time with you. I mean, I mean, all this lovely time just to talk about myself and my book and hear your thoughts—it was fabulous. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Well, I've had a blast myself, Susan. And you are welcome back on my show anytime. And ladies and gentlemen, Definitely. Susan Salinger's book *Sidelined: How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health* thank you. debuts April twelfth, twenty twenty-two. <laughs> right. So you will see this interview. Listen to this interview before that date for sure. You can pre-order, like she said. Just Of course, we know Amazon sells everything under the sun, and they sell sidelined as well. They so, do. Ladies, uh, so, yes, absolutely, Susan. And ladies and gentlemen, I, w- I want you to realize how great this book is. Susan Salinger researched and questioned many women asking themselves at one time or another, did. why did I agree to that? Sidelined. <laughs> How Women Manage and Mismanage Your Health examines the many ways in which women manage and sometimes mismanage your health care. Researcher Susan Selinger, she describes how women, the medical gatekeepers for their families, are extremely dedicated about taking care of themselves. They choose their doctors carefully, visit them more frequently than men, we know that's true, and stay on top of all of their health information. Yet women tend to inadvertently undermine their own health. They're so focused on taking care of their families that they sometimes fail to stop and ask doctors the necessary questions when it comes to their own health care. So as a result, they may end up with inaccurate treatments and unnecessary procedures. So in Sidelined, Susan explores the cultural and medical history that has conditioned women not to act on their own best interest. And she offers the insights into the gender biases of the medical community that we've discussed here today and explores why women are misdiagnosed more often than men and why they are routinely omitted from clinical trials think about that one this book is designed to help women become more consciously aware sidelined will provide you the reader with the knowledge the language and the skill sets needed to ensure that women are comfortable You, the woman, are comfortable advocating for yourself when it comes to your own personal health care. So, ladies and gentlemen, Sideline. That's the book you want from Susan Salinger. And, again, Susan, thank you so much for giving us your valuable time today.
1: Thank you for having me. I loved it. Thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. And, ladies and gentlemen, stick around. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: Thanks.